Hey guys, and welcome to episode 3 of the XTC Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Fahad, and today we have 23 different bookmarks to discuss. That's a lot, so let's get started. Our first few topics are related to computers. Our first bookmark is, Sony starts outsourcing bio design to beat competitors. Sony has now announced that they will be dividing their bio series into two different tiers. There's a top tier and a bottom tier. And the top tier, what it will be, is it will be their usual self-designed computers, like the VIOs that you can purchase now. These VIOs will be designed and manufactured both by Sony. Then you have your bottom tier, which is new. And the bottom tier will be what is actually being outsourced. And the bottom tier will have other PC manufacturers who will design and manufacture these bottom tier laptops or these VIOs and the only thing Sony about them is the actual VIO logo so what's going to happen is these bottom tier uh, outsourcing companies they will first make the design get it approved by Sony and then start manufacturing these via uh, these I guess VIOs is what you'll call them and just at the end they put the VIO logo and what Sony is doing and why they're doing this is because they are trying to beat their competitors who are Apple and HP. Sony is said to target premium demographics, meaning people who are in the market for premium uh, hardware, meaning more expensive and more features. So they will be they are actually directly competing with competitors such as Apple and HP and Apple right now is the biggest and strongest brand in the US with their Mac series then comes HP and now here's Sony in third place with their I guess lacking hardware Sony has never been exactly bad but when they first released their VIO line it came out strong and then they started to wane a little and so this is what Sony's hoping will give them that extra edge that they need to beat HP and beat Mac or Apple. And what's going to happen is they have decided that the top tier, which is designed solely by Sony, will be the more expensive, uh, What kind of like what the Vios are now. Vios are not cheap, for sure. And um, the second tier, what they're thinking about doing, or what they will do, is make it cheaper so that they 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 can still target their premium demographic and still target different demographics other than the premium ones meaning people who are in the market to buy cheaper uh laptops for their uses and there's lots of those now as we can see with the success of the netbook and this what sony is proposing to do what their ceo uh has proposed to do is um very similar, if not the same exact thing, as what HP and Compaq are doing. HP necessarily doesn't exactly outsource to Compaq because they own Compaq, but the intents and purpose is the same exact thing. HP creates their own line of computers, and Compaq does the same thing, and then just slaps on the Compaq logo, which is known to be the same as HP because HP owns Compaq. And Compaq, which is analogous to the second or bottom tier of Sony's new plan, is significantly cheaper than HP. 
you can probably find an HP starting at five hundred dollars or four fifty a starter HP. Nothing special, probably not too good specs, but four fifty. Whereas you can find a compact with probably the same exact specs for three hundred dollars, and these prices are these all vary obviously depending on where you buy it from and sales or whatnot. But so as you can see, there's there's quite a difference in there and. The most expensive compact is probably like 600 to $800. I'm not exactly sure. Whereas the most expensive HP can run you up to maybe $2,000 with their new touch smarts. So I'm thinking that Sony is going with the same exact thing so that they can beat out HP and Apple by uh, appealing to a wider demographic while still maintaining that what they're calling premium demographic targeting. All right, and that article is over at macnn.com. Next, we're going to be talking about Google. Google has, for the past few months, always been in the news or in the media for some reason whatsoever. Usually, I would say 95% of the time, it's for something good. However, I do remember one incident where Google was a few Google execs were actually arrested, but we're not going to get into that. So for all in all, Google has been really pushing the ball here and doing some great stuff. I mean, you have the Google Wave, the new Google Docs, which we'll actually talk about in a little bit. And now, Google, I would say probably a few months ago, maybe six months ago, um, they announced that they are coming out with their own OS called Chrome OS. And Chrome OS has lots of new innovative features in it. First off, they're really pushing the seven-second startup time, which is a big deal, actually. And now they also talked about the Google Cloud. And the Google Cloud is kind of like a... It's kind of a more advanced version of Google Docs, meaning those who are using Chrome OS will actually be able to type and do all their document processing, everything you pretty much do with uh, Office... On Google Docs, and this, of course, was is going to be a advanced Google Docs, and they also talked about something with this Google Cloud called cloud printing. And what cloud printing will be is, it's pretty much printing for mobile devices. Now, what that means is, for those of us who have iPods, iPhones, smartphones, and all this. And Android-based phones, which are actually smartphones, um, you can't exactly print from them. You can type all you want. They have now with the release of the iPad, you can actually um, use productivity suites to type, uh, make charts, and I believe they have keynotes on it. So you can actually make slideshows, but you can't really print from them. So what Google Cloud Print will do is... It will allow you to, using your Google Cloud documents, which you will type up or whatever on Google Docs, will will actually allow you to print all those from a Google Cloud printer. And no, that doesn't mean that Google's coming out with their own printer. It means that these are the printers that will be attached to Google Cloud. And this, to me, seems very similar to a router in a home networking thing where you send what you want to print to the router which then routes it to the correct printer and this is actually very besides being a really cool feature it's actually very important because chrome os 
or Chromium OS, depending on where you read about Chrome OS. I prefer to call it Chrome OS. Um, Google's Chrome OS is specifically targeted, from what Google has said so far, for netbook users. And as I've men- mentioned pri- uh, previously before, I do own a netbook, the HP Mini 1000, and I have tested out the Google Chrome OS beta. And I must say, I was very impressed with what I saw. Of course, they still have some work to do, which they, from this article, is very obvious what they're doing. Uh, so, what Chrome OS printing is so useful for is, for those of us who have netbooks and will be using Chrome OS, we might type something up in uh, Starbucks or anywhere else where you can get those uh, Wi-Fi hotspots and all this. And we might type something up, make a blog post that we need to print out. Well, using this cloud system, from what I'm reading, you can actually send it using Google Cloud Printing, send the file to cloud, which will then send it to your home printer, assuming that your printer is on and connected to cloud. Now, that is a very cool feature. I mean, you can type up all this stuff away from home, send it, and boom, you come home, it's already printed. That's very cool. And so this is what the article is pretty much talking about, how Google is starting to envision this cloud. And they've actually, from what I've read, have started a very basic, not exactly beta-ready type um, Chrome printing or cloud printing. And so this is something definitely to look out for. And those of you who are interested in Google Chrome, we actually have a post over at our XTC Tech blog at XTC Tech. WordPress.com. And so now this Google Cloud uh, print article is over at Electronista.com. Now, as I've mentioned before, all links are provided in the show notes, including uh, links to our blog, YouTube uh, channel, uh, website, forums, everything, Twitter, including the sources for all these articles. Next up, we will be talking about Microsoft. And Microsoft, which has recently released their uh, 2010 beta, or I wouldn't say exactly recently, a few months ago, a month ago, two months ago, they released their uh, Microsoft 2010 Office beta. And yes, I did use it. And I must say, there are a lot of good improvements. And the main thing that Microsoft is trying to do is beat out Google. And what I'm talking about specifically is what we just discussed, the Google Cloud and Google Doc. System. Of course, Microsoft has, they're not exactly focusing on the Google printing or Google Cloud print. They're actually focusing on the Google Docs and this Google Cloud. And so what Microsoft has done with uh, 2010 is they have made a very similar cloud type feature. And what it'll do is it'll allow you to store your files in a cloud and we're using Windows Live SkyDrive is what they're calling. And it's supposed to have seamless integration with Office 2010. Now, I do have the beta, like I said, and I did use it. And I don't know. I, I like both of them. I like both Google Docs and Microsoft Office 2010. There are, besides aesthetic changes, there are also some uh, feature changes in 2010 uh, from, I believe, 07 or 08, uh, whatever the last one was. And... Um, one thing that Microsoft Office uh, is doing, or Microsoft is doing very differently with Microsoft Office 2010, as opposed to other uh, offices, is that they're now offering what is very, what I want to call 
and what this article is calling an Office 2010 Lite. And what this is, it's a free version that will be installed on the Windows-based PCs that you buy from the store instead of Microsoft Works. So we all know when you purchase a new uh, PC, you have that Microsoft Works, which most people barely ever use. I know myself and my family members and friends, we never use it. We just use Microsoft Office. I mean, Microsoft Works, I'm sure, has its uses, but not so much for the average user. And so they are offering now a Office 2010 Lite edition, which is a free edition that will come with all pre-installed on all new PCs. And so this article says that Office 2010 has finally reached RTM, meaning that beta testing is now closed and it's now ready f for it to be uh, start to manufactured. And um, Microsoft, they are what they're doing with this one is they're making web-based versions of the core Office applications. And so what they're considering core applications are Word, Excel, PowerPoint, and OneNote. And I don't know if you guys have seen Office 2008 or if you use it. I never really used OneNote. I thought it was kind of a nuisance. I mean, because there was always that annoying process running in the background, like Groove Monitor and all this. So if one of you listeners have any good uses for uh, OneNote, please tell me because it's just sitting there on my uh, desktop. But as I was saying, Microsoft will re is set to release uh, Office 2010 for retail customers sometime in June. They are now hosting a uh, virtual launch event for the Office 2010 on May 12th. And they will also be offering the, su uh, the suite to TechNet and MSDN subscribers as of this week. So if you're one of those subscribers, please be sure to tell us. How awesome it is. <laughs> Alright, and this article is over at PC World. Um, next, we are talking about Google yet again. Google was sued by Viacom in 2007 for $1 billion in damages. And what they're suing them for is they're saying that YouTube has a lot of content that infringes on their copyright. Now, those of you who aren't um, familiar with Viacom, Viacom is like a media giant. They own lots of networks, TV networks, and so they have lots of shows and all this. And because of this lawsuit, you guys who I'm sure everyone really goes on YouTube because it is the fourth largest site on the internet or fourth most popular. I'm not sure which one it is. But either way... Um, those of you I'm sure have seen on YouTube, if you actually search up music, that now people have started to get their videos removed and they're now having to put in uh, certain kind of like disclaimers that saying uh, this video was not mine or this song is not mine, no copyright infringement uh, uh, intended. And this is because of this uh, lawsuit. Google has now, since they own YouTube, they have been cutting down and trying to remove all these videos that – uh, do infringe on copyright laws and that's why it's starting to get annoying actually because you click on a video thinking you're going to listen to a song because that's all you want but no instead it says video has been removed due to copyright infringement well this is one good thing and that's that with this copyright infringement whole 
shebang with removing all these videos, uh, Vivo has come about, and Vivo is where uh, artists and uh, producing companies can host their videos using Vivo, where there is no copyright infringement intended, obviously, because they own the rights. And now, back to Viacom and suing Google. Viacom has now produced a new document in the court case that said that has kind of some bad comments from Google di- hating on YouTube. And so let's see what they say. They said that – well, Viacom with this new document says that Google called YouTube a rogue content theft. And they said that based on their respect for copyright – and this is Google. This is what Google wrote. They want to distance themselves from the video sharing site, which is YouTube, obviously. And also, Viacom, in the same document, shows that Google actually wrote, and this is, by the way, a confidential document, or what the article is calling a highly confidential document, says that Google actually, prior to purchasing this, said that YouTube was sustained solely by piracy. So Google said some hurtful things about YouTube prior to buying it. And now Viacom obviously brought it up in this document in the court case. And what YouTube says is is that these documents aren't new. They are taken out of context and have nothing to do with this lawsuit. Well, I don't know. But one thing that is going to work for Viacom by producing this document is they are sure to get publicity from the media. Because these are some hurtful things that Google said for something that they bought and is now such a big thing. YouTube, there are products now that are based solely on YouTube, i.e. now that you have cameras that are YouTube-friendly and all this other stuff. So YouTube is a big deal now being the fourth largest site on the internet, and Google saying this prior to that is really going to hurt them in this court case. Maybe not um, from a uh, law point of view, I guess, but it will hurt them from a media standpoint. And this article is over also at PCWorld.com. Finally, to finish off the computer section, we will be talking about HP. HP is now being investigated for a shady contract that they made in 2003 with a Russian prose- with the Russian Prosecutor General's uh, office. And the contract is $47.8 million for a computer system. And... So what is going on now is German officials believe that uh, HP used very unethical business uh, techniques in order to obtain this contract. So now they started investigating him. Well, as of today or of this article, HP is now being investigated also by the SEC. That's right, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. And they are also getting involved because this is a U.S.-based company and they have the jurisdiction to – actually investigate and discipline this company because it's U.S.-based, even if the crime, I guess, alleged crime, was committed in foreign waters, I don't know, in a different country. (laughs) And so the SEC, along with the FBI, reportedly, have already – they've already investigated in the offices by actually – Searching and uh, they are actually looking for 10 specific HP individuals. And now these individuals for some reason are really shady because they have been really hard from what I've read to get a hold of. 
HP has already fired these individuals or they have left all by themselves. So HP, HP says and is still saying that they are fully cooperating with all agencies involved in this case. However, they still can't provide accurate whereabouts of where these 10 individuals are. Kind of sketch. But there you have it. So latest report, SEC now and FBI now join the agencies who are now investigating HP. And this article is over at PCWorld.com. Again, wow, a lot of PC worlds. <laughs> uh, next up, we are going to be talking about kind of like mobile stuff, meaning Android, uh, iPad, iPhone, stuff like that. So what we have here is we are going to talk about the Microsoft Zune HD 64. Uh, the article is called Microsoft's Zune HD 64 starts rolling out or sliding out. And from what I can see here, there are no changes from previous Zune HDs and the Zune HD 64. However, all the changes lie in the inside. Um, obviously, from the name, you can deduce that the Zune HD 64 has 64 gigabytes of memory. And now it also has... In addition to that, the Zune HDs now can actually be uh, homebrewed, meaning you can actually put in homebrew uh, apps. And you could do that before. However, this time, this has seamless integration with what uh, uh, Microsoft's XMB that's already on there. So, kind of cool. And, like I said, looks the same as the previous Zune HDs. And I think it's good that Microsoft has uh, pulled out a 64 gigabyte version. It's it's not something that's a surprise. Everyone knew it would come out, something that needed to come out. But the main thing and why this uh, product is so important is because by releasing by releasing another Zune, they are now directly competing with Apple's 64 gigabyte iPod Touch. And so now again, the Zune is being revived. And not to say that the Zune died, but in comparison to the iPod and what Apple has been doing, the Zune has been kind of lacking. So that's the Zune HD 64, and that's over at Engadget.com. Next up, we're talking about the Android. The Android market pushes past 38,000 apps. Google on Thursday announced that it raised $5 billion in net revenue. That's right, it raised Five billion dollars, and nineteen percent—that's a nineteen percent increase over last year. And this is—they are claiming that their success is because of the mobile market, including the Nexus One. And Nexus One, if you guys have heard, was really hyped up, but according to stats, it's not really a hot seller. But Google claims that enough sales have been made that it is now profitable. So that's good for them. Now, back to the Android market. The Android market has now said on April 15th, 2010, that they are now past 38,000 apps. Now, to kind of put that in perspective, Apple's App Store reached 100,000 titles in November of 2009. And now, as of April 15th, they have close to, if not more than, 185,000 apps. So... That kind of puts you in perspective. The Android market is for sure a fraction of the Apple App Store. But the rate at which the Android market is increasing and growing 
is a whole lot more than what Apple's App Store is growing. So that's something to look out for. And congratulations for the Android market. 38,000 apps. And hopefully, probably more by now. And that article is over at uh, MacNN.com. Next up, we're talking about Flash and Adobe. If you guys remember, last episode, we talked about how that little conflict arose between Apple and Adobe. Where Apple, they denied Flash on the iPod and iPod Touch. And, well, iPod Touch and iPhone, excuse me. And also the iPad. So... Now what Adobe is doing is they they already announced this before, but they're saying that Flash is now coming to Android, WebOS, and BlackBerry smartphones and tablets in the second half of 2010. And what they also released another statement, Adobe did, about how they feel about the Apple holdout. And this is from the CEO, and what he's saying is that this Apple's decision will hurt consumers and eventually the the people will be paying for it through their wallet so adobe's still not happy about that however what they're doing is they're providing flash to apple's competitors the android blackberry and WebOS. so smart of adobe and they they originally announced that they would release the flash for blackberry WebOS, android in the first half of 2010 but they did not because it is now currently in private beta. So that is over at Engadget.com. Next, we are going to be talking about the iPad. The iPad 3G order is now set to ship by May 7th. If you pre-ordered the iPad 3G, then your order should come before the end of April. Very late April. So meaning this week or this coming week. And if you didn't get a chance to pre-order, well, then your order will start to ship by May 7th. This is three days prior to the international shipping of the iPads or their pre-ordering beginning. And this article is over at CNET.com. Now we have a whole lot more iPad news. So this article from MacNN says that universities reject iPad due to Wi-Fi issues. And so, George Washington University, along with Princeton and Cornell University, have now banned the iPad on campus due to its uh, Wi-Fi. And if you guys remember from the last episode, Israel also banned the iPad for the same reason. They said that the Wi-Fi will mess with the system's bandwidth, or the country's bandwidth, and really kind of get things out of whack. So... Uh, Cornell's IT director Steve Schuster fears that students attempting to use iPads could have devastating consequences, quote-unquote, on the school's entire network. All these schools are working to resolve the problem, and they haven't exactly set a time frame. Princeton says that they did notify Apple of these technical issues, but Apple spokesperson Teresa Brewer denied having any knowledge of such problems. And while these schools are having problems, one school, Seton Hill University, is actually really promoting the iPad. 
They're giving away free iPads for every student arriving of the fall 2010 as part of the school's technology program. So congrats for Seton Hill University, and too bad for those IVs. Now, this article is over at MacNN.com. Now, more iPad news. 3D on your iPad. Well, not exactly. Um, Cody80 has announced an update to Holotoy app for iPad. And what the Holopad, or Holotoy, excuse me, app is, is it... It's designed in a different way that gives you a 3D effect. It creates a perspective based on the angle of the device, which fools our brains into perceiving a sense of depth. And this is very similar to the uh, Hitachi HD or 3D LCD, excuse me, that I talked about last episode. And the cool thing about this app is because it creates a sense of depth, um, you don't need glasses. And there's a cool video on this article, so please check it out. Of the app, and the app is only 99 cents. That's right, 99 cents, and all you need is Apple iPhone OS 3.0 or later, and it is only 8 megabytes of space. And I will probably be doing a review of that, so please be on the lookout for that. And this article is over at PCWorld.com. Next up, we're talking about the iPhone. We talked about the iPhone OS 4 uh, last episode, and now the iPhone OS 4 jailbreak is now released. It's available, but not to everyone. It's only for developers. I, on the other hand, actually got to use the OS 4 jailbreak, and I do have it because I am a developer, and not that I'm promoting jailbreaking or I'm saying it's a good thing or I'm telling you to do it, but if you were to jailbreak it, I would tell you this, the iPhone OS 4 is amazing. There is definitely multitasking abilities, and I mean, this multitasking is so useful. And it it makes, the with the OS 4, there's lots of new possibilities for apps now. Because with the third firmware update, version 3.0, there, there were already a new batch of apps that came out that really took apps to a new level and I'm I'm more than 100% sure the same thing will happen with OS 4 especially with the iPad out so this article is over at engadget.com next we're also talking about the uh, iPhone OS 4 but this is talking about something that I really didn't care for well not so much I didn't care for as I didn't really look for it and now the OS 4 is rumored to have integration of social networking, meaning Facebook. Yes, that's right. You can add contacts from your Facebook into your phone book. So it'll have all your friends' email, aim, and all that stuff that's on the Facebook info. And that article is over at gizmodo.com. Now, speaking of Gizmodo... We have a special article to discuss today, and this is a Gizmodo exclusive, so this is obviously a Gizmodo. And this is about the Apple's next iPhone. If you haven't already heard, Gizmodo got their hands on the iPhone 4G. No, that doesn't mean it's on a 4G network. That means fourth generation. And I don't know if it's officially called a 4G, but that's what I'm going to call it. And this is how the story starts. It was a it started off with one of Apple's employees in Redwood City in a bar 
he had a prototype of the iPhone 4G. Like I said, may not be called that, but that's what I'm going to call it. And he actually got drunk and left it there. The 4G was actually disguised as an iPhone 3GS, but Gizmodo, after paying a hefty fine, or what is rumored to be a hefty fee, sorry, not a fine, but a fee, they got their hands on it. And the rumored price is $30,000, but I, on the other hand, did some more research, and I believe the actual number is closer to $5,000, but the exact number is unknown. But anyways, Gizmodo got their hands on it, and it spread like wildfire on the internet. I mean, this thing, this thing looks beautiful. It's more, it's more flat. There's not as many curves, and it's more rectangular than the iPhone 3GS. It looks skinnier, and the cool. It has a lot of cool features that are really big selling points for me. Well, first off, there are two cameras. So yes, there are huge aesthetic changes. There are two cameras on the iPhone 4G. One on the front and one on the back. The front is for more like eye chatting, like video chatting. So that'd be a cool feature with a with awesome apps. And then on the back you have your standard camera, which we are you already have on the iPhone 3GS. Except this one's a lot more improved with a uh, better lens, which looks to be bigger, and it also has a camera flash. The iPhone 4G has micro SIM instead of standard SIM, like the iPad. And it also has an improved display. It looks to be, from what I'm reading, that the display is 960 by 640. So your display may not be exactly bigger, but it'll definitely be more clear and crisper. Um, there's also a secondary mic. And this mic is located right next to the headphone jack. And this one appears to be for noise cancellation. There's also split buttons for volume this time, and so there's no volume rocker. And I actually was a fan of the volume rocker. And also, the vibrate and mute button is, or I guess it's a toggle, the one that you slide up and down. It's not exactly a toggle anymore, it's a slide. And you slide it up and down, and all three of these are now distinct circular buttons. And I don't really like the circular button design from the pictures that I'm looking at. And that is all the tech upgrades to it. Aside from that, the design is the same. USB port on the bottom, two speakers on the bottom, power button at top, headphone jack at top. I mean, there's not much more to it, but the looks are definitely there. It has the looks, it has the specs, and Apple was pissed. <laughs> Obviously, Apple was pissed that... The they lost the phone. However, uh, Gizmodo did return the phone, and the funny thing is, at least this is rumored, that Gizmodo sent them a letter with, along with the prototype, that said, "Please go easy on him." And of course, they're referring to the guy who got drunk in the bar and left the iPhone 4G. And also, here's here's some more cool information. The iPhone 4G has a larger battery. I guess, so I guess it's not cool information, but it's awesome. I'm a big fan of this. It's, I mean, the battery life sucked on the iPhone and iPod Touch. I'm a big fan of the two, but seriously, the battery sucked. You had to have the the brightness all the way down, and you had to charge it almost every other day, depending on your usage. 
At least I did. So this battery is going to be awesome. The iPhone 4G is 3 grams heavier than the iPhone 3GS. And this time there is no bezel on it. Instead, there's aluminum border going along the outside. Very similar to the Mac Mini. And now it's, it's, now it's time for my opinion on this. I think it's awesome, and I think it's worth upgrading if you do have the iPhone 3GS, if you would like to use these extra features such as iChatting and all this. But more importantly, I feel like Apple will not – I think they will add some surprise factor because they can't – now that their product has been leaked all over the internet and is being discussed by everyone, they, they really don't have a surprise element to it something that consumers as soon as it comes out the day it comes out they start asking all their friends who got the product oh what's so cool what's new blah 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 because they already know so i feel like apple might put in one surprise touch or maybe more and that will change the phone and make it that much better so that there is a surprise factor when it comes out just my two cents on the matter and this article like i said is on gizmodo and it is a gizmodo exclusive now, speaking of the iPhone 4G, I was under the impression that this iPhone 4G was to come out sometime near early fall, maybe August. But now, this article at MacNN claims that it might be otherwise. They said that AT&T has allegedly barred, barred, excuse me, barred employees from scheduling vacation time in June. And they think it's likely because they want to ensure a full staff when the next iPhone arrives on the market. And they said that if the report is accurate, then the timing indicates that it will release the new handset ahead of schedule, which is obvious. And I don't know, though, because they also have stats for the iPhone 3G and iPhone 3GS. And they said that the vacation ban for the iPhone 3G was between June 15th and July sec- July 12th, excuse me. And the actual launch occurred on July 11th. And the 3GS variant was announced on June 8th and released on June 19th. So, this doesn't exactly fit with that because they they barred it indefinitely in June. Meaning, there isn't really a set time, the set date. But I definitely hit, I think it hints at something, obviously, that something big is about to come out from AT&T. And most likely, the iPhone. But who knows? Right, so this is over at MacNN.com. Um, next, we are going to be talking about the uh, about Verizon Wireless. Ver- Verizon Wireless has now narrowed, narrowed down their 4G launch window to fall of 2010. They said that it will be available to the promised 25 to 30 cities within the last three months of the year. They didn't really explain why there is such a delay, but they said that friendly customers will be using the service early in summer. So, I don't know what they mean by friendly. However, you have to think, Verizon, like I mentioned in my previous uh, podcast, or previous episode, excuse me, um, Verizon and Sprint are now one of the bigger data carriers than AT&T. And so... They, AT, uh, Verizon now has to compete with Sprint, which really hasn't been on its radar from what I've seen. I mean, I'm sure as a corporate corporation, they definitely thought of it, but 
when you associate Verizon, when you think of Verizon, you really don't think of Sprint. It's always Verizon versus AT&T because of their whole campaign with the whole ads and my map is better than yours, but your map doesn't count because my, my map is faster and all this garbage with all those ads. So now Sprint enters the picture and they already have an established 4G network. So they're ahead of the game. And as far as I'm concerned, uh, it's not even uh, it's not even on AT&T's radar yet because they have so much stuff with the iPhone. And I don't know if they really need a 4G network, but a 4G iPhone would definitely be pimp. Now, the article already mentions what I already have mentioned, that Sprint has a 4G-level service in WiMAX. And they'll also be uh, actually releasing their first 4G smartphone, which is called the Evo 4G, and it's supposed to ship this summer. And now, that article is over at electronista.com. Now we're going to talk about another Verizon thing, the HTC Droid Incredible. And now, they have a huge picture on this article of the HTC Incredible. And I must say, this thing is amazing looking. For looks, I give this a, like a 10 out of 10. This is amazing. This phone looks so sleek. It looks, on the back, it has a muscular kind of look. And I don't mean muscular like the ripped bodybuilder. I mean, this thing has... I don't know if it's exactly ergonomic, but the cutout and the look is amazing. It's black with red accents, and it looks amazing. I can't stress the look factor enough. It definitely has the appearance. And it will be $200 and set to release April 29th. So in two days, day, depending on when you listen to this. And now... This this previously was known as the HTC Incredible, which I mistakenly called it that like five seconds ago. But it's actually now called the Droid Incredible by HTC. And it has Google Android 2.1. It has the HTC Sense Experience, a 1 gigahertz Qualcomm Snapdragon processor, friend stream, 8 megapixel camera, 3.7 inch WVGA uh, touchscreen, optical joystick, GPS, Wi-Fi, proximity sensor, light sensor, and digital compass. It also has a new feature called Leap. And Leap View gives you instant access to all seven home screen panels. So I think that's more like kind of like Exposé on Mac, which I love, by the way. Which kind of shows you all your uh, panels, all seven, I guess. So check this phone out. It looks like it's a winner. Uh, I'm not, I haven't really used Android phones, so I actually have to buy a phone soon, so this is actually one of my contenders, and this phone looks amazing, I mean, I cannot stress the looks on this thing, and so this article is over at mobilemag.com, be sure to check it out, I mean, the looks are very impressive, and it's only $200 with the two-year contract, of course, which is typical for a new phone at Verizon. So that was over at Mobile Mac. Next, we're going to be talking about Microsoft's new phone, which is the Kin. And this is over also at Verizon Wireless. It will be available. And this is more about the ad. I haven't, I'm not sure if you have seen it, but Microsoft has recently started uh, airing their new commercial for the Kin. And it kind of has a guy, and he uh, has his uh, hand underneath his shirt, and he's uh, taking a picture and sending it to his girl, and she's all ecstatic and he's got his kin and he's happy it's 
the whole point of the kin is that it's supposed to target the younger generation, my generation, my people. <laughs> I don't mean my people, but my people in my age demographic. And so it'll have a web OS. And I mentioned all this in the last episode, so I don't want to bore you guys with the details. But anyways, this ad has now been accused of actually advocating sexting with taking the picture of underneath the shirt. So Microsoft has now had to remove that, and now he's taking a picture of himself with his shirt on. So be sure to look out, look out for the new ad. And this is, this is kind of becoming a recurring thing. The sexting, if you notice, sexting and cyberbullying, and I lump them together. I think they go hand in hand. And um, not that one leads to the other, but they both are... Uh, I think sexting is kind of a form of cyberbullying because it's pressuring someone to take nude pictures of themselves or semi-nude. and I don't think it's right. And as you can see that I don't know what has happened to our society, but now with all this technology and all this like I guess sexually repressed teens, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I guess I'm I would be counted as one of them because I I have Facebook and I I don't sext, but I've seen cyberbullying and I know people who've been cyberbullying. So I, I've seen what this stuff can do, and I think it's really sad that. Has come to this point where a company can't even make an ad without being accused of promoting sexting, and that now that the National Ad Council actually has to make ads to get rid of sexting and uh, discourage it. And if you didn't know, sexting is illegal, by the way. So for those of you who sext, you better watch out. And that article is over at engadget.com. Welcome back to episode 3 of the XTC Tech Podcast, and I'm still your host, Fahad. Now we're going to finish off the show by talking about gaming. Our first gaming article is kind of related to gaming, but more than anything, it's pretty disturbing. Yet, kind of amusing. So, let's get to it. The title kind of says it all. Boy Kills Dad with Sledgehammer. Hmm. So, a 14-year-old boy in southern Russia was charged with killing his father with a sledgehammer. Get this. This is why he killed him. After his parents tried to stop him from playing computer games. Yeah. He killed his dad because they wouldn't let him play video games. What? So, what happened was the dad took took the kid's keyboard away from him after he had played video games nonstop for a week. And hadn't listened to the parents. So the dad took away the keyboard. That night, that 14-year-old boy got a sledgehammer and hit his, hit his dad on the head twice on the head. And the, his dad died on the spot. His mom then afterwards gave him back the keyboard and he played video games on his computer for another few hours before falling asleep. He doesn't have a previous criminal record, but he is uh, being held in detention and... He, at the age of 14, he can and is being charged with murder under Russian law. Kind of messed up, guys. I mean, it's amusing, but whoa, that's, that's some intense gaming, really. And this is over at N4G.com. Next up, we are going to talk about the video game industry. If you listen to episode 2, 
You heard about the um, 4% decline in the average uh, game developer's salary. Well, here we have an article that says that, vi- that the video game industry is finally seeing a rebound, which is very great news. Um, there's, there's actually one big reason or a few huge reasons for this, but that's going to be our next topic. Um, it says that the industry had been down for 14 and 13% year over year in February and January. But this month, it is up 6%. And for the month, and it had a total sales of 1.2, 1.52, excuse me, 1.52 billion dollars, and there were 87, oh, 875.3 million dollars in software sales, and that's a up a 10% increase. However, all is not good. Hardware sales came in at 440.5 million dollars, which is down 4%. So you get some and you lose some. The Wii is still the sold the most with 557,500 units in March. And the Xbox and PS3 literally sold almost the same amount with 338,400 and 313,900 units respectively. The Nintendo DS was the top seller of the month with a sale of 700,000 units. And there's a huge reason for that. Um, and that's our next article. So, this is over at CNET.com. Now, the reason for this rebound. God of War 3. That's right. God of War 3 had the most sales in March, uh, with the one with 1.1 million sales. And it is the reason why there is a rebound this month. And it's also the reason why there's actually a supply shortage of PS3s. Now, this is the hardware sales for the month. And... Like I said, Nintendo DS, 700,000-ish. Nintendo Wii, 550,000-ish. Xbox 360, 338,000-ish. PS3, 313,000 PSP, 119,000. And PS2, 118,000. So those two are kind of lacking. But God of War 3 has really turned things around for the gaming industry. And here are the top... Five U.S. software sales, like the top five software, and I'll kind of discuss a little bit about all these, and these are the reasons why it's made a rebound, and all five, I must admit, are amazing games, and I actually own quite a few of these. First up is God of War 3 with 1.1 million sold. Next up is Pokemon Soul Silver version for Nintendo DS, 1.02 million sold. Then, in third place is Final Fantasy 13 with... 828,000 sold, and this is on the PS3. And then in fourth place is Battlefield Bad Company 2 for the Xbox 360 at 825,000 sales. And finally, in number five is Pokemon Heart Gold version, also for the Nintendo DS at 761,000 sales. Now, I own God of War 3, Pokemon Heart Gold, and Bad Company 2. And I must say, all three are amazing games. I don't have Soul Silver, but I played it almost the same thing as Heart Gold. And these games really deserve to be up there. Uh, I'm not exactly a super huge Final Fantasy fan. Not to say that I'm not, but not a huge fan. Because I never really got into the whole four-disc games and all this. Although, Final Fantasy IX was really good. I, I will give you that. And um, my, well, most of my friends actually are huge 
uh, Final Fantasy uh, fanatics, pretty much. And they've been raving about this game like crazy. In fact, my friend only bought a PS3 so he could play Final Fantasy XIII. And um, so all these games deserve to be up here. And these are the reasons why March had a 6% increase. Or a 10% increase in software sales, but a 6% increase overall. Which is great. And kudos to all those game developers and great games. All of them. So this article is over at IGN.com. Now we're going to talk about the PSP. The one who didn't do so good in hardware sales in March. Um, this is about actually the PSP Room. If you haven't heard about the PSP Room, you're not alone. This is actually this was actually really underpromoted by uh, Sony, especially in the U.S. And this was in fact brought to my attention by one of our co-hosts here, Sahil, who you guys have yet to meet. He was actually scheduled to be on the show on this episode, but unfortunately he became sick. So he's a slacker. I'm just joking. Anyways, we hope he gets better and he will be, hopefully, on one of the next few episodes. And, um, anyways, he was the one who first brought this PSP room up to my, um, like, to my attention. And I did a little bit of research and this is kind of like a very basic, not so much fun version of, uh, PS3 Home. If you guys have a PS3, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. PS3 Home, which is kind of like an improved console version of uh, Second Life, or I believe it's Second Chance. I don't know. I don't play that game. But anyways, the PSP Room is like a more basic version of that. And they beta tested it in Japan. And what it is is they put, I think, 1,000. I'm not sure about the number, uh, but I believe that's what it is. But don't quote me on that. 1,000 uh, people, the beta testers, in this room hence psp room and they were supposed to interact and just you know talk very similar to what you do in ps3 home aside from the fact that ps3 home is all, uh, has all these um i forgot what you call them Jeez, i can't believe i forgot well you know what i'm talking about with all those worlds like the gaming room and then you have your home and all this so it's just like a room and for me it didn't sound fun at all honestly uh i'm sure if they added more Darn it, I can't believe I forgot what it's called. I'll think of it sometime. Uh, anyways, so the thing is, it's just a room. And I'm sure if they improved it and added more rooms or uh, places to go, then it would be more fun. But uh, I didn't think it looked that cool. And apparently either did Sony because they have now canceled PSP Room. So it probably won't be missed unless you were a beta tester and you really liked it. But still, it would have been a cool feature if they had gotten it to work and made it more fun. But Sony has canceled it, and they have not said why. But I think it's because people like me who think it's not fun at all. Stick with PS3 Home. Great, great app. Especially, uh, well, not app, but great game, I guess. But especially with the new update, if you guys haven't gotten it, it makes it way faster. Anyways, this article is over at PCWorld.com. And now our final topic or bookmark... For gaming and the show is on Infinity Ward. If you've been following the podcast at all, you've known that I made a big kind of to do about Infinity Ward because this is something that really interested me and caught my attention from the beginning. And so I've been following it from the beginning. And 
I don't want to keep reiterating every episode how it started off, but Zampella and West fired, didn't get any money for uh, developing, uh, whatchamacallit, I can't believe I just called it that, it's like such a great game, Modern Warfare 2, I'm sorry fans, I love Modern Warfare 2, just like you, and so... West and Zampilla were um, the execs of uh, Infinity Ward, who actually did the coding for Activision. Activision fired them. They sued back. They then started their own company called Respawn Entertainment. Since then, lots of uh, employees have left Infinity Ward, kind of hurting the company a lot because once you hear their positions, you'll know why. So here's a new list of updated, at least, as of, I believe, on the 23rd. Oh, no, excuse me. As of April 22nd, this is the list of people who have left Infinity Ward after Weston Zampilla. And this is, I believe, in chronological order. Todd Alderman, who was a lead designer. Francisco Gil-Legotti, lead software engineer. John Shearing, programmer. Mackie McCandish, lead designer. Steve Fukuda, lead designer. Zed Reich, lead designer. Ray Benson, programmer. Chris Churubini, Churubini, I'm sorry about that, I, I'm bad with names, lead artist, Mark Grisby, uh, lead animator, Paul Meserly, lead character animator. So, once you hear that list, the word lead comes up eight times. So yes, they've essentially lost eight project leaders. This is not good for Infinity Ward, obviously. And here is the kind of, like, I don't know, the nail in Activision's coffin. Respawn Entertainment, which was started by uh, Weston Zampilla, is now officially teamed up with the Electronic Arts. That's right, EA Games. And EA Games is giving them a boatload of cash from what I'm reading. So they definitely have something under their sleeve and hopefully a great game so that we consumers can kind of benefit from all this like, I don't know what to call it, a fiasco, I guess. And now, this is what Activision is doing for Infinity War. They re, they will restaff the studio, and uh, they're not sure how they're going to do that, if they're going to pull them from other studios or if they're going to just hire new people. They are, Infinity War is a big deal, and they are going to make another Call of Duty game before long. Not sure when. And what they are doing now is they've put Steve Pierce and... Steve Ackrett in to act as interim studio heads. So they'll be there, and um, they're probably going to be doing the same thing for all the other positions because it's believed that more employees will be leaving because they really didn't get a share of the almost $1 billion in revenue from uh, Modern Warfare 2. So this is the latest update on that, and like I said, I will be following this like crazy. I love this. I don't love this because it's really going to hurt Infinity Ward. I personally love the um, Modern Warfare and Modern Warfare 2 and Call of Duty series. Man, Rising Sun was the game. And so it hurts me, but, you know, it's very interesting and pretty amusing in the gaming world. So that does it for today's episode. Thanks for listening. And please, please, I don't know how many times I can stress this in the like how many episodes but please provide some kind of feedback comment rate subscribe email us follow us on twitter whatever please good bad uh, give us some responses let us know all right so that does it and 
please be sure to uh, check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash XTC Tech. Also, follow us on uh, Twitter at twitter.com slash XTC Tech. Finally, be sure to email us at xtctechblog at gmail.com. And also, check out our blog at xtc.wordpress.com. So, thanks for listening. And please be sure to comment, rate, provide some kind of feedback. And all links uh, will be provided in the show notes.